Previously on MobyCast. In episodes 78 and 79, we broke down the AWS well-architected framework and covered the first three pillars of excellence. Operational excellence, security, and reliability. This week on MobyCast, John and Chris wrap up their three-part series and discuss the last two pillars of excellence, performance efficiency and cost optimization. We then bring it all together by explaining how to perform a well-architected review. Spoiler alert, the well-architected tool is a fabulous resource that you need to have in your toolkit. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Before we get started today, I'm so happy and so proud to be able to announce that we have a sponsor. So MobyCast is no longer ad-free. But our sponsor is one that we really do care about. We use CircleCI, and we've talked about CircleCI in a previous episode. I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, so I just have this to say. This episode is brought to you by CircleCI, the continuous integration and delivery service used by companies like Twilio, Intuit, and Tinder. CI/CD is so important for keeping teams building. It's all CircleCI does. They focus on creating powerful, flexible CI-CD pipelines so that you and your team can focus on doing what you do best. Whether you're a company of five or 500, CircleCI can build, test, and deploy your Linux, Windows, and Mac OS projects from GitHub and Bitbucket in their cloud or installed on your servers. And anyone can sign up and start building for free since CircleCI gives both private and public projects a thousand free build minutes per month. Sign up and start building for free at CircleCI.com. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. Good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back. So, where are we? We're deep, deep, deep in the land of the well-architected framework from AWS. It's episode three of this well-architected framework, right? It is. It is. But wow, we, yeah, we're, we're deep, but we're, we're, now, we're now climbing back out. So the, yes, can, yes, that's the true. If it's a canyon, we're, we're, yeah, if it's a canyon, we're, we're past the middle point. Um, so this should be the last episode about the well-architected framework. We really hope that this has been helpful for everyone listening because, um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard stuff and, it's, and it, there's a lot of detail to it, but um, it kind of covers the spectrum of everything that, all the decisions that you need to make and everything you need to think of to write just 100% um, reliable software. Uh, and <laughs> as I say reliable, I'm also thinking about the other pillars, and I'm not going to mention them all right now, but just 100% great software. Um, and, and maybe even better software than many companies have the budgets for, as we've said. So this week we're going to talk about the final two pillars, and we're going to talk about the well-architected review and the well-architected tool. Um, so the final two pillars are performance efficiency and cost optimization. Um, that cost optimization one I like because it goes back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago about how the well-architected framework is more business-focused or at least keeps the business in mind while making um, t- technology suggestions. Uh, so yeah, Chris, maybe uh, take us in. Yeah, so let's, let's uh, dive right in. So pillar four. Performance efficiency. Um, so, so this one is the um, 
The definition is it's the ability to use resources efficiently to meet system requirements and to maintain that efficiency as your demand changes and technology evolves, right? So, you know, again, pretty, pretty easy to wrap our heads around, pretty straightforward. Yeah, that one's less of a mouthful than some of the other ones. Right, yeah. You're just using resources efficiently, so that must be computers, networks, disks, mm-hmm. databases. Yeah. Using them efficiently to meet system requirements. That, that's, I guess that's your business requirements or, this, or the re- overall requirements of your system to meet your business needs. Um, and then maintain that efficiency as demand changes, so maybe more or fewer users or more things that you're processing if, you, if you're not a user-based system. And then at, and as technology evolves, that's, that's a big challenge, right? It, so yeah. we're not going to stay on a mainframe with COBOL. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and it is a challenge, right? Because the, we've talked about this so many times on 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 episodes of Mumpycast, how the the rate of change is just it's increasing, right? It's it's there is yeah. so much going on, and you and it's and it's it's literally it, it really is a struggle just to keep up. So same thing goes, um, you know, in in this space is like there's always like seems like. Um, very, very um, on a regular basis, new instance types, right? That are more um, efficient, better, um, better performance out of them. Same thing goes with just everything across the board: networking, storage, um, CPU, um, all, all of that. So, and, and also different technologies to use. You know, so it may be that hey, instead of using you know MongoDB, you should be looking at DocumentDB, right? Or instead of using uh, Postgres, um, you should be looking at DynamoDB, um, perhaps. So uh, that constant learning and evolution um, becomes really, really important in this pillar as well. Right on. Um, so as usual, each of these pillars has a few things that we talk about: design principles, key service, focus areas, and best practices. So are you going to take us into design principles? Yes. So let's talk about the design principles. And so again, this is this is these are some of like the core design principles as outlined by the the well architected framework. Um, so for the performance efficiency pillar, design principles include, um, you know, one is it's it's easy to try new advanced technologies, and really what this is about is this saying like you know as these new new technologies come out. The likelihood that AWS will offer them as a managed service is is greater. is 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 It's pretty pretty good um, possibility likelihood there, and it just makes it so much easier for you to then consume it, right? So you don't have to go figure out how to stand up, you know, some some complicated piece of of, of new software and, and do stuff. Just again, the undifferentiated heavy lifting. Instead, let let AWS do that for you, and then you can just consume it as a managed service. So, so making it just so easy to try these new advanced technologies, and you know, again, that feeds into that continual improvement and evolving, and and not staying static, right? Keeping up, keeping ahead of the curve, um, to be as efficient as you can. Right. I guess I would see that uh, the examples of that would be um, AWS pushing into AI tools, uh, even simple ones like AWS Transcribe. But also more, you know, more generalized ones like AWS SageMaker. But also, you know, AWS is like, we're not sure what's going to happen with this blockchain thing, but let's throw out a couple tools. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be the picks and shovels of this blockchain movement. Um, so here's a couple tools you can use. And th- and that was v- very evident at reInvent as well. They were like, 
We really looked at this and we are not sure, but th these are the things that seem to be resonating with people. And then what else? I, I just feel like there's a few other, oh, just new database technologies in general. Mm -hmm. um, they keep adding those to the managed service fleet. So yeah, those are some of the new new things that they make it easy for yeah. you to use without having to go stand up a machine and EC2 and, and install yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think DocumentDB is a great example too, right? Like, I mean, there's uh, Mongo, yeah. Mongo's yeah. out there, um, and it's a great product, but you know, you have to kind of make unless you go with their managed service, uh, Atlas. Um, if you want to run it inside AWS, then you know you're standing it up yourself, and it's a lot of work. Um, and mm -hmm. so to have someone else do that for you, to, have, to let AWS do that for you, it makes it just so much easier just to get going. You don't have to worry about, okay, what is, how am I going to monitor these things and what's my backup restore? Like, how, I, I got to put all that together in place versus those are just checkboxes um, in the AWS world. Right. Yep. Right, exactly. All right. So uh, moving on, another design principle is the just kind of realize that you can go global in minutes. Right. And so really what this means is it, it means, Hey, AWS is is um, so robust and um, full featured. They support. They have multi regions, right? There's regions all over the world, and so it literally is like you can have your resources all over the world with in in minutes, um, and that opens up new possibilities. And it again from a performance standpoint, right? So if you have users spread all over the globe. Um, you can now provide them a much better experience um, by being closer to them physically um, with by leveraging the AWS platform. You know that it is so cool that that's true, and I kind of have this sort of weird regret that I've never had a chance to really take full advantage of that. I mean, all the way back to the beginning of AWS, I thought, oh man, you can start these things up anywhere so fast. You can have hundreds or thousands of computers going all over the world in, in, like in minutes. Um, what would I do where I could do that? Like, What can I build where I need that? And I just nothing has really come along, crossed my path where I actually need to do that. I, I'm not really making a denial of service system. I'm not building a botnet, um, and I'm not you know building any software that has hundreds of millions of users all over the world either. Um, so it's kind of a bummer. As much as cool as that is, I just haven't really had an opportunity to take advantage of it. How about you, Chris? Um, no, I mean again, it goes with you know what's your what's your user base look like, um, and if you mm -hmm. if you have a, a global user base, then chances are then you're going to need to be multi-region. And so, yeah, not 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 a lot of uh, experience there with that. But um, I think I mean, you know we have we, Zoopix, yeah. right? So I mean, uh, I think there's a plan there to kind of branch out yep. um, internationally, right, and to go into Europe. Yeah, yeah there right? is. So there is. There that'll is. be really. Yeah. In fact, in fact, it might be happening like really, really mm -hmm. soon. Like, yeah. So I think of it, and that's actually you know that that'll be maybe something to talk about in a future episode because we're gonna have to figure out like. All right. First of all, we're going to just, you know, unfortunately, put some people that are in other places on a longer latency system. They're just going to have to wait. Um, but eventually, we'd like to to move to be closer to them so they they can have a better experience. And how to migrate from single region to multi multi region will be a fun challenge. Yes. Yeah. 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 And again, I mean, and and that's kind of like the point of this whole like design principle and and what AWS gives you is that like the tools and the features are there and. To do something very mm -hmm. sophisticated, 
ends up being not like a tremendous amount of effort that it could be if you were trying to do this all on your own. Right? The, yeah. the tools are there. Oh, I mean, man. just even like multi-region and um, DNS, right? The RAT53 right. and the, the various routing models that it has, it's just, you can do geoproximity routing, right? Or you can do, right. you know, least latency. So, um, right. Yeah. Powerful. Well, and I have a I have a friend Andy Warner who worked at Google, still works at Google, and that that was his job is to go. He specifically would go around in in Southeast Asian countries and work with you know real estate people, leasing experts, um, the governments of those countries in order to get data centers built out in Southeast Asia. Um, at, you know, hundred plus million dollars a pop. So it's like, yeah, you don't have to do that stuff. You can just use the work that folks like Andy already did. Right, indeed. All right, yeah. Cool. So moving on, another design principle is use serverless architectures. Um, and so... NW wants, wants you to do that. Do it. <laughs> yeah, so again, I mean, you know, we, we've talked about this too, like the benefits of serverless, like a, you know, a big, a big mm-hmm. value add is that you know, you're not managing infrastructure, you're letting someone else do it. It's also, it's, it's much more... Um, you're just paying for what you use, um, so you don't have to worry about over-provisioned capacity and whatnot. And uh, so, but again, I mean, it's it's a it's a big open topic and architecture, and you just have to figure out what works best for you. What's the right mix, right? Um, but right. definitely, right. It, it should always be kind of like top of mind. Like, where do you know where does it make sense to use serverless in my architecture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, you know, another design principle is experiment more often. So I mean, this one feels like we we've heard this one before, right? Like this feels like a pretty it does feel familiar. Yeah, um, yeah. And so you know, again, I mean, this is all of these pillars involve like continuous improvement, right? The feedback loops, um, you know, evolving, mm-hmm. um, knowing that technology is is always changing, and you have to stay stay current. So. The ability to is another design principle going to be to automate something. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, no. We, we we do have one more, um, uh, but but yeah. So so experiment more often um, is definitely uh, okay. you know pretty. Um, it makes it AWS gives you the capability, like the cloud gives you the capability to make this so much easier, right? So so definitely leverage yeah. it. Um, and then the last one design principle is. This is a weird one, mechanical sympathy. And mm, and I, and I almost one. didn't even want to include this one, right? Because um, I'm like, take it out. Kelsey has, has decided to remove this from the AWS architected framework. Just it's, it's I, I mean, I'm confused by it, right? Like mechanical sympathy. Like, what do they? What does it even? What do they mean by this? And I'm thinking about mechanical Turk for whatever reason. Yeah. Is, that, is it related to that? No. Mm-mm. I, I, I no. don't. I okay. mean. I, don't think so. I mean, reading into it a little bit more, you know, it feels like it's 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 centered around like um, kind of like using the technology approach that aligns best to what you're trying to achieve. But again, I mean, I'm not so so. Uh, it feels like you know, use yeah. the right tool for the right job, right? So yeah, instead of square peg round hole. Mm-hmm. But mechanical sympathy, I just, I mean, it just. That does not align with that. Um, it may be kind of a more of an, an Amazon term, or, or I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe other other folks have have, have used this term as well. But uh, for me, it was a little bit of a head scratcher. 
So mechanical sympathy, I guess it, you, you could imagine machines working in harmony. They're well lubricated, and the, the levers and arms and gears like fit perfectly together, and they do their job exactly. The job they're doing it, it resonates with the shapes of the machines themselves, like that. That, but for code, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, mean? I hear sympathy, and I'm just like, it's like, oh. I feel, yeah, I feel I bad for you, machines. You're working so hard. You know? <laughs> right, right. Um, so, well, and that's why I was thinking Mechanical Turk. I was like, ooh, that, that's kind of yikes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, Mechanical <laughs> Turk is a bunch of people clicking on images to identify them. Like, millions and millions and millions of images a day get identified by me- Mechanical Turk workers. Yeah. So, maybe it's like feeling bad for them. Yeah, so, yeah. So, this principle is be glad you don't have to do their job and be thankful that they're doing it, you know, <laughs> right? not you. Yes. yes. Have that sympathy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so the, what a weird one. Weird yeah, one. Okay. Yeah. Continuing right. on. So, those are the design principles. Um, so, key service here in this in this pillar for performance efficiency is CloudWatch. Um, so, again, the, I mean, we, again. We, we hear it again and again, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. CloudWatch is so key. It's so critical. It's so instrumental, um, giving you the insight into everything that's going on in your system. So, um, definitely something to take advantage of. There's one design principle that I want to go back to. It was the experiment frequently one. Um, and this, I just had this realization that the pillar we're talking about here is performance efficiency. So is the assumption that by doing experiments, you can learn how to be more efficient? Because I guess the, there, there's a balance, right? If you're spending all your time experimenting, then maybe you're not getting your job done very well. You're not being very efficient. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it goes, it's that, um, that, that um, that trade-off, right? Of what are you spending on evolving versus like um, operating and, and maintaining and whatnot. So yeah, you, you have to have the right mix. Um, so you you, know, mm-hmm. you can't stay static and say I'm just going to focus on just you know continuing add on to you know features and and uh, kind of just keep status quo, right? Because that's how tech debt. Builds up, um, and if you get too much tech debt, then you're going to be stuck, right? You're going to be in a really, really bad place. So you got to find you right. got to find that right mix of like just you know you pop your head up and like take 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 a survey of the landscape, and you're measuring your system, right? You're understanding like where are some of the bottlenecks, right? Where where are some of the things that need improvement? But that's not what an experiment is, though, Chris. It's like. An experiment means I have this hypothesis that if we did this change, you know, this or that would be the outcome. And so, rather than, it's like do the, it's saying do those. And I guess okay, okay, but I would I would caution people to get too wrapped around all kinds of experimentation because experimentation is expensive in its own right. And unless unless you typically get good results out of your experiments, like you know, pretty solid performance efficiency gains, then you're spending a lot of money doing experiments without seeing a lot of return on the purpose of those experiments, which is performance efficiency mm-hmm. gains. Yeah, so I mean, it, there, well, that's, it, that's the trade-off. It, also, it depends about. on the scope of your experiment, right? So it's like you could your mm-hmm. experiment could be like, oh, I'm going to go from RDS um, Postgres to DynamoDB, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's a that's a big experiment, right? That's gonna that's gonna be a lot mm-hmm. of work. But you could also say an experiment is I'm going to go from Amazon Linux one to Amazon Linux two um, and see. What the what the gains are there, or I'm going to switch from mm-hmm. M4 instances to M5, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just again, you know, use use the the right level of of 
pragmatism for what works for you. And again, kind of looking to see where you're going to get the best bang for the buck, um, where your, um, the, where the, where the, what are the areas of your system that could use improvement and then how, how you might do it. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's the right mix. Cool. All right, we should probably burn through the focus areas pretty quickly. Sure. So four, four focus areas here for this pillar. Um, selection, review, monitoring, and trade-offs. So selection, um, this is um, all you know, geared around like making sure that you're choosing the appropriate resources types for the, the functionality of your workload. Right? So this comes down to things like compute, storage, database, networking, um, and just understanding all the various levels and types um, that are offered there and making sure that you're picking the, the appropriate ones. So again, like if it's, you know, you need EC2 instances, choosing the right instance family, right? If you're, if you have a, um, a workload that's CPU intensive, picking the instance types that are geared towards that versus like a memory intensive application or whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing goes with, you know, storage with, if you're using EBS volumes for block level storage, you know, what's your IO rates, right? Like, do you need um, IOPS um, provision devices versus you know maybe you don't you don't have that that kind of uh, throughput so you, you don't need to go to a, to a more expensive volume type right right so just really understanding all the various options out there what the um, you know what they're built for um, and then right. knowing your workload you know so that you pick the right one so that's selection. Um, uh, some key um, AWS services that are, are, are aligned with that particular focus area, um, EC2, EBS, um, RDS, mm-hmm. DynamoDB, mm-hmm. Uh, S3, Route 53, Direct Connect. I mean, these are all... Um, really? Basically, anything that can be configured? Yeah, it's just about, <laughs> yeah. or, just about everything, right? Yeah. yeah. Anything that's not like a, an actual application service um, you know, type mm-hmm. thing. Um, so yeah, so moving on to the next focus area, review. So th- this is part of that continual learning and staying up to date and kind of just knowing what's out there, right? So review just means you continue to review your workload architecture, um, keeping apprised of what's new, um, what's what are the latest developments, and then figure you know incorporating that into your plans. And so um, you know here they talk about like. Good ways to keep up are the AWS blog, um, and then also the AWS What's New page and email newsletter um, as well that goes out. And of course, going to mm-hmm. things like reInvent um, and yeah, and yeah. the various AWS summits that are happening all the time. Excellent. Next focus area is monitoring. Um, so obviously, pretty straightforward here as well. And uh, so key services for monitoring: CloudWatch, <laughs> uh, right. Uh, and then you uh, Lambda, Kinesis, and SQS. So these are all, um, you know, basically once events are generated, um, like where are they routed to, and then how do you act upon those those kind of, those events, right? So we can send them to Lambda and have some code do something with those events, right? Or it can be sent to a stream in Kinesis, or we can send them to a queue to be processed later, like with SQS. Given that monitoring appeared in every single pillar so far, it's like maybe it should have been its own pillar. Mm-hmm. It, 
You know, and it kind of, I mean, if, if you asked, like, like look at the five pillars, like, where's monitoring? It's like operational excellence, right? Like, I mean, it, it just really yep. jumps at it. But again, this is so core. But security, too. Are you monitoring yep. your systems yep. for security? Mm-hmm. Like, all of them. Reliability. Are you yep. making sure they're not falling yep. over? You know, performance efficiency. Are you making sure that they're not dragging? Um, and then finally, cost optimization. Are you making sure that you're not paying at the wazoo? Like, yeah, yep. all of them need monitoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost feels like I mean, we, so we have the general design principles um, that we we kind of kicked off, right? So that again, the, the well-architected frameworks, the, yeah, the three things: the design yeah. principles, the pillars, and then the the actual review process itself, right? So with the you know the general design principles, we talked about like, hey, you don't want to guess your capacity needs. You're testing at scale. You automate all the things. You're allowing for your architectures to evolve and to improve over time. You're driving architecture through data, and you're improving through game days, right? Those are the the general design principles. It feels like um, we could have like talked about monitoring here as an instrumentation yeah. as being like one of those key things, mm-hmm. and maybe just and then saved ourselves having to write it five mm-hmm. times down in the pillars. Yep. Yeah, yep. indeed. Um, cool. Yeah. So, and then so the the and the fourth focus area is trade offs, right? Um, and so. This is again a kind of a weird name for it. Um, it is, but yeah. I've, I, my focus area is trade offs. Yeah, but really, what it is, it's it's trade offs in the respect of performance efficiency, and really, what they mean here is like, how do you what what trade offs can you make to um, increase your performance and it really like at the end of the day they're kind of like talking about caching um so proximity and caching um so things like cloudfront taking advantage of cloudfront um mm-hmm. and edge locations to put the content mm-hmm. closer in closer proximity to the actual users right so that's going to cut down latency and they're going to get their their whatever it is that they're requesting is going to going to they're going to get it much quicker using things like elasticache for using caching so that you Aren't hitting your database constantly, your your relational database constantly for information or whatever it is that you want to cache, right? Like, so both of those were like read efficiency versus write efficiency mm-hmm, trade offs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and you know they, you know, one of the things they list is uh, snowball, which <laughs> okay, but really the trade off there is like okay, you could have a dedicated network, you could use like Direct Connect or the open internet or whatever it is, right, to go transfer, you know, a terabyte of data. Um, into S3, or you could go order a snowball um, and then just load it locally and then ship it off to Amazon, right? So that's the the trade. I like one is going to be much more efficient than the other one. And knowing yeah, that for anyone are. living here in Eagle, Colorado, it's always going to be more efficient to do snowball because our internet is horrible. DSL. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And then another example of trade-off would be just you know using read replicas with RDS, um, and we've we've talked about this in the past as well. How you can have read rep, you can just add read replicas to your um, to your database, and that now allows you to optimize mm-hmm. on your your read capacity um, versus writes. Mm-hmm. So and and to be, you know most applications do follow that pattern where they're more read intensive than they are write intensive. Mm-hmm. And if and or they're like they can be split into parts, right? Like one that's really good. Like certain users need really efficient writing, and other larger, typically sets of users need really efficient reading. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you can, if you think about who needs what, you can architect around that. Yep. 
Yeah, and and again, I think you know that's maybe why they call this trade-offs is just kind of understanding mm-hmm. that, and because a lot of times you will be you're trading off performance for cost, um, mm-hmm. right? And it could be more expensive um, in order to get better performance, right? So that's the trade-off there. Got or it. sometimes yeah. you're you're trading off um, CPU for memory, or vice versa. Yep. Yep. Um, and then as far as best practices go, we kind of already cover this, so um, you know. Like an example in the selection focus one is just you know making sure you're choosing those appropriate resource types, um, whether it be compute, storage, database, networking. Understand all the families. Understand all the options there, the different types. Understanding like what it means to you know what's enhanced networking, um, what's an EBS optimized instance, things like S3 transfer acceleration, um, VPC endpoints. I mean, all these come into play, right? And so. Mm-hmm. Really understanding those, all those options, and whether or not it makes sense for you and your in your workload is something you need to be to be on top of. And we go back to the the well architected framework in general, and and like how well balanced it is for for companies that have smaller workloads or like startup type companies versus big behemoth companies. And I think it's worth saying here that um, the trade off around getting this right uh, for a smaller workload is it's like. And you're not gonna you're not gonna hurt yourself that bad by not getting it perfect. So go ahead and choose something. It might not be the best instant type instance type if you need an EC2, or it might not be the best um, IOPS selection if you're doing an EBS. Uh, but like then after you you know instead of getting like wrapped around the axle and oh my god I'm, there's too many choices here and, and I've got to go learn. AWS and and in, in, in its entirety before I can even start and do stuff like that would be that would be bad right so so for smaller workloads or if you're just getting started um, you can make mistakes and they're not that expensive but at larger scales they can get very expensive and you definitely need to know this stuff yeah and I mean it, it's you know it goes back to that constant evolution and the feedback loops and just always mm-hmm. like you're you're looking at your system. You're measuring. Um, you're reviewing it, and then making continuing to make improvements to it. Right. To right. Yeah. If I if I were to have that slider that we talked about, it would be like this stuff would be kind of on the if you're on the lower end of the slider, it would be like okay, this is less important. Like all these perfect selections and mon- you know the perfect trade offs and everything. It's like yeah, this is where you can dial. This is the part of the well architected framework that you can dial back a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, a lot of this stuff is pretty, pretty much more advanced. I mean, again, like things like implementing VPC endpoints so that you keep traffic all within your own within inside the Amazon network and within your VPC. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, mm-hmm. it's going to be faster, but it's you know milliseconds faster, perhaps. Yeah, right? exactly. So it's exactly. Like you may not. Yeah. You know, it's it's not going to make a a big difference if you if you're not. You know, don't have a tremendous amount of load or a tremendous amount of users to begin with. Your 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 time and resources can be spent better in other places. Exactly. All right. Well, that is the performance efficiency pillar. Um, so moving on, we can cover the last one: cost optimization. Cost optimization. Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, it's so it's so nice of Amazon, right? Because it's like. At the end of the day, like you know, you'd think like, "Hey, we want you to spend more money. Not, we don't want to help you." Save well, it depends money. on who you're optimizing for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> optimizing for AWS. <laughs> spend, spend, spend. Yep. 
Um, but I mean, all justin aside, I mean, they, they have a very real reason for wanting to save people money because it's it's that provides the impetus, right? The the business reason for getting onto the cloud to begin with, um, and to get off right. and onto the cloud and to keep them there. Um, and to n- turns out, yeah, and it turns out a lot of the ways to optimize cost have you getting deeper and deeper in, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the the tendrils get get tighter around you, um, and mm-hmm. it becomes becomes much more difficult to extricate yourself. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, like reserved instances, mm-hmm. a couple of years, mm-hmm. you got a machine that's yours. Well, go with three years for best for best price, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, indeed. Um, so, so as far as uh, kind of like description of this pillar, it's the ability to run systems to deliver business value at the lowest price point. <laughs> so pretty, pretty straightforward there, right? We just want to run our workloads at the lowest price possible while still meeting all of our requirements and making sure that it's they're actually providing value. Yep, easy peasy. So design principles. Um, let's see, uh, adopt a consumption model, um, which basically is just saying like only pay for what you use. Right? I mean, this is one of the great things mm-hmm. with with the cloud. And there's we've talked about there's so many different ways to achieve this, whether it be things like auto scaling or with um, managed services, serverless. Um, but you know, you don't need to over over provision. Um, you don't need to under provision, right? Just use only pay for what you use. Mm-hmm. Another design principle: measure overall efficiency. Um, so again, pretty, pretty kind of a constant theme here, right? Like you can't really do anything without data to, to back it. So make sure you're measuring from whatever facets you want to, you know, look at and be able to prove on. You need to be able to measure and have data points that give you that inform kind of decisions for you to make. So um, make sure you're doing that. You want to um, another yep. design principle: stop spending money on data center operations. So this is, you know, totally, okay. it's totally geared towards you know, am I on prem or am I in the cloud? And so like, you right. don't don't spend your money paying people to rack machines um, and to you know right. run cables right. and to don't spend money on cooling systems and HVAC and whatnot. Um, let, let AWS do that. Right. Um, another core design principle is to analyze and attribute your expenditures. So, and this really applies to larger organizations, especially um, where you know you can imagine if you're a company with many different departments. You know, you have marketing, you have sales, you have engineering, you have uh, human resources. Um, so, you can you may want to track cost. On a on a per department basis, right? So um, and be able to analyze that. So how do you how do you do that um, inside the AWS framework? Um, and so that's that's something that is is important from a from a cost optimization standpoint. Is just knowing where your where your where money is being spent and how do you how, how can you attribute that um, to those to those different business functions. It's really not hard to start doing that though. And even a company as small as Kelsis can benefit from this. Like it's kind of, you know, as our AWS bill grows, it's kind of useful to know what of that bill is us running experiments for our clients versus what of it is us doing our own internal stuff, like our internal Mm -hmm, skunk works mm -hmm. and things. And all we have to do to get there is just every time we spin up a new service, just tag it with the project that it's on. And boom, we can Mm -hmm. get that report. And if we don't do that tagging, it becomes harder. Yeah, indeed. 
Um, cool. And then a final design principle is to use managed services um, to reduce your total cost of ownership. So we we talked about this, you know, it keeps coming up as well, right? Like this is a great a great benefit mm-hmm. that you get from being in the cloud is let let AWS do that undif- undifferentiated heavy lifting. Don't spend your your money, your resources doing those kind of things that just really aren't. It's not your forte, and it shouldn't be, and it's not going to distinguish you from your competitors. So focus on what's core, your core competency, and leverage these leverage AWS to do everything else for you. Cool. Undifferentiated heavy lifting. Are we going to start calling that UHL? And everyone that hasn't listened to the first eighty episodes of MobyCast will have to know what UHL. Can you imagine? I mean, there's so many things we could have acronyms (laughs) for, so we could just. <laughs> we could just end up be speaking in code um, the whole time, right? So we already kind of do that too with with various. Um, I mean, it's thing about like RDS, RDS, it's SQS, hard not to. Yeah. you know, TCO, yeah, exactly. Um, so let's we'll 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 try to find the right mix <laughs> instead of just speaking in code. And so, key service here for cost optimization pillar is um, AWS Cost Explorer, and so that is a tool that AWS provides to allow you go and to see like where you're spending your money, right? And to be able to drill down in that, and if you couple that with cost allocation tags, um, then that makes it even more more powerful. Exactly. So, focus areas. And that, that was what I was. I'm sorry. That was what I was mm-hmm. just talking about. Like, tag the mm-hmm. stuff that you make. Everything can be yeah. tagged. And and like, I think it was. And this is worth saying. I think it was like a couple of years of using AWS, where I would always make something new, and there would be the part where you could tag it. And I was like, oh yeah, that's for hardcore people that have some sort of super automated big system. And it wasn't until I started doing A Cloud Guru courses that I was like, oh, that's just mm-hmm. for cost. That's pretty mm-hmm. handy. Mm-hmm. That's useful. Yeah, that's what that's. Yeah, for. I mean, because th- there is a distinction between just tags and then cost allocation tags are a certain type of tag that feed into things like Cost Explorer to give you to 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 really integrate in with those those expense reports um, to see. To- uh oh, I may I may be learning something here. So I thought it was just like if you go make an e- a new EC two and you tag it like that sh- that you can use that for billing purposes to figure out where your spend is going. Is that no, not true? You, you need to. I mean, so the tag will be there, right? But is it, it's not going to be necessarily integrated in with things like Cost Explorer. So you just have to tell you have to tell Cost Explorer like these are my these are actually my cost allocation tags, right? And define them. Oh, so it is it is using those same tags. There's not like a separate secret tag thing that I didn't know about. That's what I was for a second. I was like, oh my god, I thought those tags that I put into the console were the ones. But you're telling me that they're not. You're just saying that the Cost Allocation Explorer needs to know about the tags you're using. Is that you, what you're saying? You, you, you'd actually define them within as cost allocation tags. So you, you, you can't. You can go the one way, but not the other. So you, you can't. I don't think you could say like, oh, I'm just going to start. I tag my EC2s with with these particular tags, whatever I want to call these name value pairs. Um, and then now have it show up in Cost Explorer. I think you have to kind of first say Cost Explorer, like here's my cost allocation tags, define them, and then now I can start using those tags on things in my system. Oh, right? What an absolute bummer! I would I would imagine at least you would be able to say, okay, uh, use the you know say I have a tag called Project, at least say Cost Allocation 
Explorer, I want to have a project tag, and then maybe it wouldn't be able to go back through all history and say, oh, this is what you've spent on this project, but it would be able to, at least from here, from now on, anything with this mm-hmm. tag, start collecting data on it. I would hope it would be at least that good and not just like, can't even use it, doesn't even see those old tags. That would be such a, just, ugh. I'm a product person and I just hate it when I hear product mm-hmm. stuff like this. Just really bums me out about, about AWS is like, you know, they build something nice and then they just don't take it all the way there sometimes. They just don't finish it, mm-hmm. it feels like. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, full disclosure, like I have not um, had the, the opportunity to work with cost allocation tags in, in depth. And so, you know, mm-hmm. so there's sure. still probably some homework here to be done on, you know, what exactly yeah. is the, the mechanics of how this works. But it is the case that cost allocation tags are something that is different than just a regular tag, right? There's, there's, there's something actually that uh, to actually yeah. make the, cause otherwise like you, you can have, you no, can have infinite it, right? number you of want, tags, you want to be right? Tag stuff. And so like yeah, what's cost, yeah, explore, what's, what is it going to do? Like you don't want it to bring in all that stuff. So or why not though? Why not just build it so it's like, oh, here's all your tags that you could possibly have. Um, you know, is there something? Is there some sort of filter you want to apply to these? Like that would be a cool product. Kind of. Although it's like now you yeah. see like hundreds of tags from just everyone that's done stuff, and it becomes kind of hard, right? To, yeah. Like, and some people, the, could I be, mean, could think be. about it, you could have like departments. One one called it like marketing all spelled out. One did MKTG. You know, someone else did. Mm-hmm. You know. Marcom or something. I mean, so yeah. right, but it, but going the other way, it doesn't really help you either, right? Like, say you decide to do marketing and you and you spell it MKTG. Like over in when you're creating a new EC2 instance, it doesn't give you like does it does the imagine you're using the console. The console's not like here's the cost allocation tags for this one. Do you want to use one of them? You still have to know it, right? No, this is this is it where this help is where it's like cloud formation and comes into play, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That you can enforce. Uh, so to me, it just feels like the more we talk about it, the more I feel like this could be a well done, easy to use thing that like kind of helps you along, and and it's not. It just simply isn't. It's it, it like you got to go figure out how, what your tags are going to be. You have to communicate them to the company. You have to make sure that you use them. You have to make sure they're built into your CloudFormation templates. I mean, come on, who really has time yeah, for that? It, nobody. Well, right, it, it, nobody. It, 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 except for the people like who's, I mean, there's people whose job is this only, right? Like, there's you know, you have you have you have a yeah, comp- but those you people, have a company. Like, is there even such a thing as a tech CFO, right? Right? Like, like CFOs are like, uh, help me understand this AWS bill, and then somebody's like, oh, we got to tag this stuff. Um, tell us what the tag should be. Like, can you just imagine how awful that conversation is? I mean, it is mm-hmm. the worst. It's like this is. I'm I'm sorry, but this is a shit show. Like it really is not okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll I'll move on. But but I was excited for how AWS is going to help you with cost optimization, and now I'm mm-hmm. I'm let down. Well, again, to to be continued. Um, we can and we can. Um, yeah, it's definitely something we can dive a little bit deeper in, and maybe report back later. <laughs> okay. Um. All right, so that was let's see, we uh, focus areas. Um, so four focus areas here in the cost optimization pillar. So expenditure awareness, um, which I think we've now 
beat to death, um, right? With talking about mm-hmm. tags and cost explorer, and you can also have you can use something mm-hmm. you, know, you can use AWS budgets um, to keep track of what you're spending and to emit CloudWatch events when you um, approach thresholds. Second focus area is cost effective resources, and so this is really kind of understanding like things like with EC2, knowing when to use on demand versus spot versus reserved instances. Yep. And uh, a third focus area is matching supply and demand. Um, so we, we've talked about this before. Um, like this is the, the consumption model, like only paying for what it is that you're using. Um, so getting that um, supply and demand lined up. Um, and so things like auto scaling are really going to help here in, that, in this focus area. And then the fourth one is optimizing over time, right? It's a common theme again, like, you're not going to have a static workload architecture. You you always want to stay up to date, and you know as new instance types are rolled out, you know you may find out that it's you can you're going to cut your bill by twenty percent by going to a to a to a new instance new instance type. So keeping up to date on that stuff, um, and so again leveraging things like the AWS blog, the what's new. There's other tool tools and and, and whatnot that will will help you. Um, I think you know the key. One of the key points here, the key takeaways, is that trusted advisor is a tool from AWS that's going to be really helpful here. Um, so it will, it's, it's going to mm-hmm. show you, it's going to help you find ways to save money. So definitely leverage that tool. So leverage Cost Explorer, leverage Trusted Advisor. Um, they're going to be really helpful in helping you do this cost optimization. Excellent. All right. Well, so we've been talking for about forty-five minutes, but we really need to finish the well-architected framework this week. So, um, if listeners could hang on for another mm-hmm. ten minutes or so, I think we can burn through the last piece here on the well-architected review and the well-architected tool. Yeah, and, and so this is really. I mean, so we, we've we've talked about general design principles. We've talked about these five pillars and all the various focus areas, and that's it's, it's just a wealth of information, right? But like, it, right, it's. In and of itself, I mean, it's kind of like just giving you a bunch of textbooks, right, and saying, "Here, go, go study," and you know, good luck. So the 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 other key part of this is like, here is the the list of questions you should be asking yourself, the standard list of questions mm-hmm. that will mm-hmm. make sure that you're addressing all five of these pillars and the focus areas. And so that's mm-hmm. what the well architected mm-hmm. review, right? It's centered around the question: Are you well architected? It's providing you a consistent approach to reviewing your workload against the current best practices, and it's also then giving you it's it's giving you um, tips and advice on how you can um, improve and become more aligned with those best best those with those best practices, right? So, so this well-architected review it is a series of of questions. Each one of these pillars has anywhere between. I mean, it's it's on the order of like ten. 10, 15 questions in each one of the pillars. Depending on your answers, it will then give rise to like here's some of the things that you should be doing to address that particular question if you mm-hmm. if you if you weren't satisfying it. Right. So mm-hmm. so benefits okay. of the review are, you know, you're gonna lower or mitigate your risk. You're gonna be better at making informed decisions. It's actually just a really great way of learning best practices because it it really is. It, it, by doing the well-architected review, it's it's actually f- you're walking through the well-architected framework and all five of the pillars, 
and right. what are the best practices in that, right? So it's really like it's just a, it's a wealth of information. There's just so much good good information there, and so highly recommend that you go and and check it out and actually do a review on one of your workloads. Yeah, you know that's what I was saying. Is like or thinking is that um, there's got to be somebody listening out there that's got a SaaS product that's kind of in its infancy, doesn't have that many users yet. It's been fine. It's up. You know, not too buggy. Seems like it's ready to go. They're just trying to get users on it. Take that, run it through the well-architected review, and look at your red flags. and And I think that you'll be able to prioritize some some work um, to make sure that you're ready to scale and be reliable and um, not to spend too much on infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I really think it's 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 very very useful and and it's very much time well spent. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's if if for nothing else other than opening your eyes to like, oh, you know what, I didn't think about that, or oh, that's an interesting approach for how to handle, you know, like just alerts, right? And this whole concept mm-hmm. of things like runbooks and playbooks and kind of automating mm-hmm. some things and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. um, so really, really, really good information, and, and it's and it may, it's in a way, it's a lot more. More, more practical way of digesting all the information that is in the well-architected framework is just right. to go do the review, right, and then pick these things and and kind of one at a time address them. Yeah, and engineering managers could do this and then have a backlog of stuff ready to go for. So you're onboarding new people, or you or you have a little bit of downtime between features. Like instead of being like, oh, we have downtime, what are we going to work on? It's like you got all this stuff ready to go in your backlog. Yep, yep. indeed. Yeah, so. Um, so that's the well-architected review. Um, let's wrap up with, there's a new tool that AWS announced at reInvent 2018. It's now available in the AWS console, and it's the AWS well-architected tool. And so what this is, is this is just a piece of software running in the AWS cloud that is implementing the well-architected review for you and allowing you to you know, answer these questions, keep track of what your answers are, show you your your recommended action items, and then allowing you to create read-only snapshots to basically create milestones of your workload as it as it evolves through its life cycle. And oh, so you cool. can see the progression, right? So you can go mm-hmm. and and you know have your MVP, you know, you do your baseline review, um, save that as a as the baseline um, snapshot, and then you know. Maybe a few months later, you make some major changes to your workload. You go and redo the review, um, and you can see how you evolve. And now you make a, make a, a new snapshot of that and a milestone called you know version one point one. And so you can now just see that that evolution, um, and everything is all there inside the inside the the tool itself. And so other people can see it. So just a really handy tool for for performing these reviews and making sure that there you have a consistent process um, for. For doing the review and then for capturing the results and measuring it. You know where that would feel, you know, where it'd be really useful is say you're going into a new company and you're you're like a CTO that a new CTO for for a company that has been having problems and you're kind of in there to rescue the company from falling over on the engineering side. Like this could be a great way to start communicating with the CEO. Like, here's how I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna do this well-architected review and then I'm gonna start Reporting to you once a month or once every two months, like how our progress is going against this, and that would just—it it seems like a really great metric uh, for a CEO CTO type, type relationship. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Cool. Totally agree. Yeah. So again, I mean, 
in preparing for this series, I definitely spent quite a bit of time looking at the well architecture framework. Um, in the past, I, I'll fully admit I hadn't spent too much time with it, other than you know just kind of understanding it, just know what it is at a high level. I mean, it's it's a lot of material, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the the white papers alone. There's six white papers. There's the general one, and then there's drill downs for each one of the pillars. So it's. 300, 400 pages or 300 plus pages um, of white papers alone. And that's not even addressing like the questions and then all the action items that are associated with it. You have the, the well-architected tool um, and it, it's just, there's a lot there, but kind of walking away from this, I'm like, I'm really impressed with it. And like, this is really good, useful information and this should be top of mind for anyone working in with AWS. Like, yeah, really look at this, leverage it. There's even if you just take a few bullet points from it, it's going to be well worth it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And here we here we brought it to you in three hours of MobiCast. Yes. <laughs> I mean, hopefully this is like enough to kind of get started. Like enough. Like the last three hours of conversation should be enough to at least have everybody who listened kind of. Know some new things, um, have some questions that they can go look at, and maybe start to change the way they approach thinking about their systems within mm-hmm. AWS. Yeah, and I'd say, I mean, just as a really quick way to get started, is just go log into the console, go to the well-architected tool, and do a review for. Mm-hmm. And it, you, exactly. you can even and that doesn't just, take long, right? It's I mean, it's a, half, it's a half hour, forty-five minutes. Um, okay, but um, just. Just do that, and it, it it could be against an existing workload, or it could be kind of like what you like typically do with a workload, right? Like, mm-hmm. what are the areas that you usually um, you do address versus don't? And just by doing that, you'll it'll just light up like these areas, and you'll see the action items and the recommendations, and um, for each one of these questions, and it will go lead to additional links and reading and. Just a lot of really good, useful information, and it's gonna, it will lead to like a bunch of like aha moments, and you'll be like, you know what, we should do that, and we, I can see how we can start doing that, and it's not too difficult to implement, and it's gonna really help us out a lot. Cool, cool, I love it. All right, well, thanks a lot, Chris. This was super informative for me too, and um, I, there's a couple of projects at Kelsis that are going to be doing the well, using the well architected tool in the next few weeks here. I'm sure of it. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. All right. Talk to you next week. Nobody listens to podcast outros. Why are you still here? Oh, that's right. It's the outro song. Come talk to us at mobicast.fm or on Reddit at r slash mobicast. <laughs>